Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Phantom Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So back, I'm ready to have you back. And we're right in the heart of the winter in January, going into February. So it'd be great to have, and you know, you know, I'm a Trinity College head coach of men's squash. Paul Asiante joins us. Uh, you know him as 24th season, 17 of the last 20 national championships, 12 straight NESCAC titles, and of course, who could forget? that 252 game or match winning streak. Quite an impressive feat, Coach. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, no, it's, it's my honor. Well, Coach, if I'd like to profile our guests. If you can, don't mind, let's take it way back from you. Where did you grow up and how did you get involved with squash and tennis? Was it always your favorite sport? Well, yeah, no, my, my journey was anything but linear. And to be honest with you, I probably don't even deserve to be where I am today. <laughs> I grew, I was born in the Bronx, and uh, you can imagine squash is not a big sport in the Bronx. And uh, <laughs> when I was about 14 or 15, we moved to Rockland County, which is about 30 minutes out of, out of New York City. And I was a peanut. I was a small little guy, and I tried to play all the traditional sports, you know, football and that you know wrestling and track and field and and all that but again i was just too small and you look at me now you would never know that i was once small as i uh i'm just gross but at any rate (laughs) um so in high school i tried to do all of those things and none of that was going particularly well and so around my junior year in high school i decided to take up gymnastics because that just seemed like the right activity for my body size and um for some reason i chose to go to springfield college which at that time was the division three national champions and i walked onto that team and they were terrific and um i got cut by my coach three times um but i wasn't a very good listener and he said you know paul we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to work this out and i said well you know you're gonna you're gonna have to get campus safety to come and throw me out every day because I, I don't want to leave. And he kind of looked at me and like, why do I always get these kids here? <laughs> and so he said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you the manager. So my freshman year, I was a manager, wow. but I trained with the team. Sophomore year, I was the manager, trained with the team. And, but again, it was such a good team that if you were going to make that team, you were a national standard gymnast. And after my sophomore year, the Olympic team was training at West Point, And I went up there to train with the Olympic team. And they said, listen, in two years' time, when you graduate, we're going to have an assistant coaching job open. How would you like to come here? And I said, I'd love that. So um, my senior year, I was on a national championship team. I was the captain and the whole thing. And went to West Point only to find out that the assistant coaching positions were enlisted. And they said, okay, welcome to West Point. Uh, Now you're going off to basic training. And I said, what do you mean? Well, yeah, these are these are enlisted positions, and I said, whoa, you know, I went to college so that I didn't have to go into the army, and now I'm off to the army. So uh, off wow. Fort Dix, New Jersey, I went. Anyway, I was the assistant gymnastics coach, and I had a really bad injury, and so I couldn't really keep going with gymnastics anymore, and so I took up tennis, and I'd never played tennis before. But because, you know, tennis is a much easier sport than uh, gymnastics. So I got to be pretty good in tennis pretty quickly. And at that time, the tennis coach at West Point quit. Now, you have to understand, this man was a world-class 
tennis player. You know, mm-hmm. he, he beat Rod Laver in Wimbledon Juniors. I mean, he was the real deal. What was his name? Ron Holmberg. Okay. And so I applied for this tennis coaching job, and I had no right getting this job. And um, so they, they said, all right, we'll accept your application. But they didn't want me anywhere near this job. They offered the job to seven people, all of whom turned it down because they didn't want to be running with cadets at five in the morning. And then they realized that, oh, my God, we have to hire this guy. We have nobody else. <laughs> so they made me the head tennis coach, and they took me downstairs in Arvin Gymnasium. And they said, and by the way, coach, this is a squash court, and you're now the head squash coach. Really? So you had never heard of squash I'd never, before? I didn't, I didn't even know it was there. Wow. Wow. How old did you were? 23, 23, 24, head squash coach at West Point. <laughs> so I watched the first practice, and I called the team together, and I said, guys, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't know what the lines mean, nothing. But it looks to me like this game is based on fitness. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you the most fit team in the country, and you're going to teach me squash. Yeah. And that's how my squash career started. What were some of the uh, training exercises you used to become? Oh, we, you know, there's lots of mountains at West Point. <laughs> yeah. So we we ran up a lot of mountains. We did a lot of sprinting. Those kids, listen, it wasn't hard to get them fit because that's what they loved. Yes. But I got to be a good squash player. I won the World Doubles Championships. I won the U.S. Singles Championships. And, you know, for the last 12 years, I've been the USA coach. So yeah. I was, again, very, very lucky. I mean, you have to understand... I've been around the best coaches in history. You know, my neighbors at West Point were Mike Shazewski and Jack Riley, who won the 1960 Olympic hockey game, and you know, Dan Riley, who became the strength training coach for uh, for the Redskins. So I've stolen from so many amazing people, and then you know, coaching world team tennis, I you know became very close friends with Billie Jean King. You know, you were around her, it, you learned so much. So I've been very lucky, and I feel a little bit like a, uh, a scam artist. I'm not really sure I belong here, but I'm very <laughs> lucky to be here. That's an interesting segue. That's my next question. What was I'm interested? What was Coach K like in, in that time period? That was before Coach K was Coach K, and it was before you were you, and you guys were both in West Point. What were those? Da- Take us back to those days when you were both young coaches. Well, he literally was my neighbor. My children used to beat up his children. And um, <laughs> he was amazing. You know, I mean, he, he always has been that sort of squeaky clean, otherworldly guy. Really? Um, but I learned a lot from him. One of the things I learned from him is you have to be true to your coaching style. And I remember one year, it was Army-Navy week. And I was going to give the team the day off. And I said, hey, Mike, can I come down and watch your practice today? I'm giving the kids a day off. He said, sure. So five minutes into practice, he is just out of control angry. (laughs) So, you know, throwing kids out of the gym, the whole thing. So that night I go knock on his door to see how he's doing. And I said, Coach, i got to ask you, what what set you off today? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you you were pretty animated. He said, oh, no, 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 I I scheduled this a couple of weeks ago. I knew I needed to get their attention. (laughs) So great coaches are great motivators. And he was just relaxing at home that night, like nothing happened, right? Nothing, nothing happened. He was totally cool. (laughs) So I'm interested now, your career, you went to Rye, New York, worked at some clubs. You even went out to Washington, if I'm right. Yep, Um, a couple of clubs. I coached at Williams. 
Um, Talk about that period of your life. What made you What made you leave West Point? Um, I thought that you know, in the private sector, you can make a lot of money. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought, wow, I can go be, you know, squash pro, tennis pro, play the pro circuit. Wouldn't that be fun? And so I went down, and I, I was working at a private club, and I, you know, it was nice, but I missed the coaching, and so I went to Williams College, which was amazing. Uh, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I'd still be there. And I unfortunately went through a divorce at Williams. And I thought, well, I need to go make some more money for, you know, child support, and um, which was a mistake. I should have stayed at Williams. But regardless, you learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so I bounced around a couple of clubs trying to make a lot of money. And then finally, I got a phone call from my friend at Trinity, and he said, this job is open. Um, it's your turn. And I came up here. And um, and I've just been the luckiest guy in the world to be here. What, let's let's break that down. What is it about Trinity that has made you so like? What did you see in Trinity? That's obviously you probably didn't envision where you are now back then. So what what happened? How did what's the key to success since you came to Hartford? Well, I just came to coach. I just wanted to be around kids, and I wanted to try to help them learn about life through sports which is essentially what we do. Yep. Now, there's a plaque on the wall at West Point. It's a MacArthur quote. And it's on the friendly fields of strife are sown the seeds that on later fields will bear the fruits of victory. And what that meant to me was you can learn about life on an athletic field far more than you can learn in a chemistry lab. You learn how to win. You learn how to lose. You learn how to strategize. You learn how to adjust on the fly. You learn that losing your temper isn't cool. You can't go home and lose your temper with your partner. You can't do that on the court. So these valuable, valuable lessons, and that's what I wanted to get back doing. What we've accomplished here was never in my mind. It was never my vision, and it wasn't my idea. It was the president at the time, Evan Dobell. Okay, wow. And, and what, was his, what was his vision? What, what was that vision that you so, he literally, I had a two-minute-long meeting in his office, and it changed the history of college squash. And, and, again, not my idea. I take no credit for this. He called me into his office, and he said, Coach, you guys play against the Ivy League schools. You don't win many matches, but you play against the Ivy League schools. How can we become more competitive? Because I'd like to be able to walk into boardrooms and grind these guys that went to these Ivy League schools. And I said, well, President Dobell, um, the best squash in the world is not being played in the United States. And as a national coach, I knew that. And without even flinching, he said, great. I'm all about diversity and, urba and urbanity. So I want you to go out and find the best and the brightest. Know that we're not going to compromise our academic standards and know that we're not going to give away more financial aid than we should be giving. Now go find them. Yeah. And he's, you're, you're dismissed. And as I was walking to the door after this two-minute long meeting, he said, coach, and I looked back and he said, don't screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure there. And we were off to the races. And that, that, So how did you, how do you find kids? I'm interested. I, I broadcast in your matches before. You kids from everywhere around the world, Europe, you know, Africa. Where, where, how do you go about finding these people? And what's the recruiting like to, to do that? Well, again, as the U.S. coach, I'm traveling with the, the national team. So I know the national coaches from other countries. Okay. For instance, this summer, I'm going to be coaching at the Pan American Games in Lima, Peru. 
So I, I will meet these guys, and I'll say to the Mexican national coach, listen, do you have anybody in your country that is you know, a wonderful squash player, a very good student, and would like to come to the United States to study? Now, you can imagine, let's throw out a number, there's 100 national standard juniors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably 10 of them would be academically qualified. Okay. And now the recruiting process starts because now we're all fishing in that pond. And obviously the Ivies are going after those same kids too, I would assume, as well. Sure, sure, sure. And, and uh, you know, everyone is, is now in that pond. The, um, and so Trinity is a wonderful school. You know, we have our – there's some real benefits to small schools, and we're in the capital of the state of Connecticut, and great internships and all of that. It's a very sporting culture here, great spirit. And the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm crazy. I mean, I – I'm one of those nuts that loves what I do and do, does it probably too much. And so, you know, a parent from Gaborone, Botswana, has heard of Yale before. She hasn't heard of Trinity College. Even the word college has a different connotation. And so, but through the recruiting process, she comes to understand that, you know what, I can pick up the phone in the middle of the night because Lafika sounded depressed, and I can call a coach and he's going to tell me what's going on. And for these people who will never see the college, they won't even be able to afford to come to graduation. To have that comfort makes a difference. Yeah, no question about it. Talk about the facilities at Trinity. I, I was there recently, and talk about the you know the upgrades that have been made over the last couple of years from when you got there to where you are now. Well, the squash courts, you know, have always been sort of a a wonderful center, um, and there is some thought about even even making it larger. And then you know. There have been wonderful upgrades recently on campus. There's a beautiful new baseball stadium, the De Benedetto Stadium, and you know they've, the football field has been resurfaced, and the soccer field, and women's softball. So for this little place, this little gem in the middle of Hartford, Connecticut, it's it's pretty it's pretty special. And then for you talk about you, you're involved with young kids, and I believe it's Capital Squash. What do you hey. tell the people and talk about that program? And what do you talk to people, youngsters, who are considering who might not know much about squash? Because squash is not like football, basketball, baseball. You don't hear about it all the time in the mainstream. How, how do you get people excited about the sport? Well, I'll tell you, the, the, the best thing we do at Trinity College in the, in the sporting area is capital squash. Those, you know, I get to work with kids from pretty amazing backgrounds, and, and you know, we get to you know, get them to be the best version of themselves. But it's more of the same. Capital Squash is one of probably 22 programs around the country where these young people from an urban setting get to come to Trinity daily. They get one-on-one academic mentoring, and they get taught the game of squash. Ultimately, they have opportunities to get scholarships to schools like Taft and Deerfield and Choate. And ultimately... They get to go to colleges. We've got a boy on our team right now who went through the same kind of program in San Diego. Okay. So this is, this is an aspirational program where, where you actually change lives. It's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, that, that, it really is amazing. You're right, too. And, Coach, I'm interested. Hats off, you know, hats off to President Joanne Berger-Sweeney, f- with whom... Capital Squash has a wonderfully tight uh, partnership with the college. And our students, our players, volunteer their time 
to work with the kids and there's you know there's a staff of four or five full-time people it's tremendous and you talked about learning the values on the sport field what do you think it is about squash specifically that teaches you about life and uh you know competitive and life in general well you know it's a ve- it's an interesting game you've got two people in very close quarters yeah and 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 so you can feel the energy it's very easy to get swept up in the emotion of this and the crowd is very close to the court so you can you know we get two thousand people in here this place is cranking yes and you learn how to perform finite skills repetitively while you're exhausted and while chaos is is you know exploding around you so not unlike a a normal day driving uh you know on the new jersey turnpike (laughs) you know you learn a lot and um but also squash is a kind of cool sport because it's self-adjudicated you know you have two people on the court and they're pretty much working out the situation amongst themselves. I noticed Whereas, that, yeah. you know, in basketball or football, you know, there's people running around in striped shirts throwing flags every time somebody looks in the wrong direction. Well, in our sport, it's pretty much self-monitored. And, and for that reason, everybody's got to be playing by the rules or it falls apart. Coach, last couple of minutes we have here. I'd like to take you back to take us back to that winning streak. What? Uh, I, I often wondered, how did you keep your kids at least motivated mentally? And how did you, you know, get through that winning streak? You know, you go from wins 151 to 152 to 210 to 211. How did you keep that motivation and, or I guess, the fear of losing yeah, yeah. out of the players' minds? Yeah, that was, you know, we went 13 years without losing a match. <laughs> That's insane. That doesn't, that just doesn't happen. And... So I'll never forget, I had a wonderful young man from Blumfinton, South Africa. And we were driving down Broad Street in the car, and he looked at me with total sincerity. And he said, Coach, what's going to happen when we lose? <laughs> and I looked at him, and I could see he genuinely was afraid of that. And I said, Reggie, when we lose, you know, rivers are going to run red, frogs are going to fall out of the sky, the world's going to come to a Nothing. We'll start over. But that's when I realized how much pressure these kids were feeling. Yeah. And it was really cool because for many, many years, practice here, and, and everything is practice, was very much not so much fun because people were practicing to make sure they weren't the team that dropped the ball. This year, we, this is not probably a national championship team, but I've never had more fun. These kids are working hard every day to see how good they can get. That's what sport is supposed to be. And so losing a little bit taught us that lesson, and it's really cool. Yeah, that, that, that is interesting. This is one of your most fun teams. Wow. Yep. Um, talk just last minute. So what's your typical day like, average game match day? What, what time do you wake up? How do you, how do you, how do you go about your uh, 24-hour day? <laughs> well, there's three little children in the house, so God <laughs> only knows it could be anywhere between 5.30 and 6 a.m., uh, I usually am in the office between 7 and 7.30, uh, and I work. If we have the early practice, I leave here around 6.37, and if we have the late practice, I leave here around 9. And uh, But, you know, as Confucius says, he who loves what he does can never find work. So I've never worked a day in my life. I mean, I've had tough days, but I, I'm so lucky that Trinity has not come to its senses yet. <laughs> still allows me to come to work every day and do what I do. 
And I heard as well you're friends with a coach who's playing a big game on Sunday, Bill Belichick. Yeah, good go, Bill. <laughs> and Bill, we trust. Just talk about what you've learned from talking to him over the years, and how does your relationship develop with Coach uh, Belichick? Well, I, he he asked me to come up and speak to the Patriots, and we we text a couple of times a week, and it's really fun. He's just a great guy. He's the smartest man in the room. Um, people, he just doesn't let people know that the guy is truly a genius, and the thing that impresses me most and what he does is what every company needs to learn how to do where he is the best at talent assessment and he has two phrases first of all he says do your job and second of all he says stay in your lane and when he says do your job what he's done is he's put you in a position where all you have to do is what you do best if everybody on the field is doing what they do best the Patriots are going to win and when somebody starts to deviate from that mantra, he says, stay in your lane. And, if, and everyone needs to do that. And then you're always playing to your strength. And it, it, the guy is just simply brilliant. Do you have any keys, two or three keys, say, to your life, how you try to live your day-to-day life that you like to tell people? In terms of the right thing. Just be character large. I haven't always been, but I try every day. Do the right thing. Um, you know, that's what it's about. What would you do when nobody was watching? Make sure you're doing that. Um, second thing, live with passion. You know, if, if you're doing something, you'd, I'm, I remember when I was a pro in New York and I'd watch 7 million people a day get on a train with long faces and go into New York. Yeah. If you're not loving what you do, stop doing what you're doing. It's too short. It's too, too short a journey. And, uh, and every day look up at the sky and, and just... Be aware of the beauty of the world that you live in. Even in uh, cold Hartford, right, in January. Even in cold Hartford. It <laughs> could be worse. <laughs> it could be worse. That's true. And last question for me, Coach. Outside of squash, tennis, what do you say you have a couple hours free time on a you know summer day? What, what do you like to do in your free time? Exercise. I love to exercise. Yeah. I used to love to run. Now I can't run. Used to like to walk. Now I can't walk. Recently I've taken up swimming. I have a buoyancy level of 13 feet in a 12-foot pool, but I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> I just like to exercise. That's great. That's great. That's great. All right, Coach Leslie, tell us how, what, how the schedule is the next couple of weeks and where can fans come watch you guys and you progress throughout the rest of the season and hopefully national championship. Come back. We go up to play Harvard, the number one team in the country on Wednesday. And then uh, two weeks from tomorrow, we'll be playing at the national championships at Yale. Well, hey, Coach, we wish you the best of luck. We'll be proud uh, of you. Thanks, man. And uh, thanks for joining us here in the Phantom Spotlight pa- Podcast. And we know that I know there'll be more titles for sure to add to your list. Thanks again, Coach. Oh, God willing. Thanks. <laughs>